Good morning. Uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him we receive grace. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and for Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Thank you, Dalton. So we are jumping back in today to the book of Romans. If you have your Bible with you, just go ahead and open it up to Romans. We're going to be in, I promise, Romans today. Um, and actually, we're going to look at chapters 1 through 8. So get comfortable. Um, we're going to be here till 2, 3 p.m., something like that. And, um, and then we'll go and we'll eat dinner after that. So I'm kidding. Um, I'm, I'm really going to do a very much a, a kind of a flyby overview. We're going to hang out in a couple sections of uh, Romans 1 through 8. And then next week, and I know many of you are excited about this, uh, we're going to jump into Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 uh, starting next week, which really gets into some uh, very interesting passages about, uh, man, God and his people. And really, as we're going to finish out Romans over the next seven weeks, um, this really this section of Romans is called the people of God. Who are the people of God? What does it mean to be the people of God? So the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, if you're kind of new to this and don't know, kind of just to get us caught up real fast, okay? Uh, written by this guy, his name is Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish Pharisee, uh, became a Christian in Acts chapter 9. We see him come to faith in the Lord. Um, God literally kind of knocks him to the ground, blinds him. He becomes a Christian. He was a persecutor of the church, now a missionary to the church. And he was called, as, as Dalton just read, to go and spread the name of Jesus to the Gentile people, because the Jews had received the gospel already, kind of, kind of received the gospel first, and now his call was to go to the rest of everybody else, the Gentiles. Gentiles in the New Testament is really used as a big umbrella word to mean everybody who's not Jewish, okay? Uh, everybody else in the world that's not of the kind of ethnic Israel, now the gospel goes to everyone else. So that would be us, okay? We are Gentiles in that sort of uh, understanding. So this is Paul. This is, this is what he's called to do. And so he writes this letter while he's on some of his missionary journeys. Um, if you go back and read the book of Acts, this is about Acts chapter 18, okay? That's where he's writing the letter of Rome. He's in Corinth. He's in the city of Corinth, and he spent some time in there, and he's writing a letter back to Rome, and he's doing for a couple of different reasons. One, he just wants them to know what his mission is, right? Like he just said in, in, in chapter one here to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Two, as we see in chapter 15, um, Paul wants to raise money. He's actually, this is a fundraising letter. This is the greatest fundraising letter ever written, right? It's a fundraising letter for his missionary journeys. He tells the church in Rome, I need some money. I need help getting to Spain. He's trying to take the gospel all the way to Spain. Um, and, and, and also he writes this to give a, really a robust, deep uh, theological framework for the gospel, what is the gospel? Okay, that's really what we're going to talk about today. The gospel of God. That's what I'm calling this message. He says that right here in chapter one. The gospel of God. That's what this letter 
is about. And then fourthly, um, he writes this letter to really unify the Roman church because the Roman church was made up of Jews and Gentiles. Okay, by the time we get into Acts chapter 18, when Paul is writing this, we see that the Jews have been largely spread out across the Roman Empire. Okay, that would include a lot of Jews being in Rome uh, at the time, even though persecution was beginning to break out. Um, But this church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles in Rome, of course, they would have disagreements about a lot of things, right? And so Paul writes the Roman letter to kind of help them understand this is the gospel and, and, and we need to be unified in this gospel. We need to be unified in the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, right? Because the righteousness of God is all of our crest. It is our family, uh, uh, family name, right? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus for us as Christians. And so Paul writes this letter to kind of open that up. What does that mean to be righteous in the sight of God? Um, and if you could kind of boil the, the whole letter of Romans down to one simple phrase, it would be this, justified by faith. Everybody say justified by faith justified by faith. That's the, that's the theme of the book of Romans. What does it mean to be justified? Justified just means to be declared not guilty, right in the sight of God, righteousness, right in the sight of God. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. So he says in chapter one, verse 16 and 17, here's the thesis of the entire letter. This is Paul kind of saying, this is why I'm writing this. He says, Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of who? Everyone who does what? Believes. Everyone who believes, first for the Jew, he's just saying that the gospel came to the Jews first, okay? And then for the Gentile, all of us. For in the gospel, here it is, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, justified by faith. Right there. There's the thesis of the entire book of Romans. So here's what we're going to do for the next 20 minutes. We're just going to walk from chapter 1 to chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, to kind of get caught up so we can jump into chapter 9 next week. By the way, we have all sorts of resources. You kind of saw it on that video. If you go to eastridge.church slash Romans, Every message we've already preached on Romans is in there. There are reading plans, and there's a new reading plan for this next seven weeks if you want to go help, uh, just kind of help you read through the book of Romans. Um, If you follow that reading plan, you will have read through Romans like four or five times this year, which is awesome, right? You can't have a better book to kind of put into your heart and mind, right? Um, And then also the After Church podcast. That will not be today, but starting next Sunday, right after church, we will drop a podcast that we're going to put out every week for the next seven weeks. Um, That's just myself, Pastor Gary from South, Trey Bailey, or some other folks talking about some of these things, kind of going deeper um, after the messages. So those are just resources for you guys. We want y'all to dive in with us um, to this, what is called the, the diamond of the Bible, the book of Romans, this beautiful, beautiful book. Let's pray together, and then we're going to jump in. God, we love you, and I just pray that you would help us to see today very clearly what is the gospel, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So he says, I will not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, right? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That's what we see when we talk about the gospel you need to know what the gospel is, go to Romans 1.16 or go to Romans 3, 21 through 26. We're going to get there in just a second because this is, and what we're going to do today is just, again, look as clearly as we can at what Paul means when he says the gospel, the gospel of God. 
What is it, right? Because listen, I, I fully believe this. As Christians, we need to learn to let the Bible apply itself to our lives so that it changes us, so that we're not just people who know a bunch of things in our heads, but we actually live those things out with our lives. But first, we have to know it in our heads, right? We gotta know it in our heads, let it sink down into our hearts so that our lives are changed, so that we can then go live according to the truth of God's word in the gospel. If anything, church, we are gonna be a church that knows and believes and lives the gospel of God. That's what we're gonna be. If I have anything to say about it, that's what we're gonna be. I wanna be that person. I want you to be that person, that we would not be ignorant of what Paul means when he says the gospel. The Greek word is euangelion. It's uh, evangelism comes from that word. Evangelistic comes from that word, right? This word gospel, good news. That's the technical translation. It's the good news of God. So here's what Paul does. He opens up in chapter one, starting in verse 18, all the way through chapter 320, He's basically showing us human depravity, human sinfulness. Because if you need to know the gospel, if you want to know what the gospel is, if you want to know the good news, first, you got to know what? The bad news. Because there is bad news. There's a lot of bad news. Chapter 118 through 320, it's all bad news. Here's how he starts it. Chapter 1, verse 18. By the way, there's going to be some scriptures up there that I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read bits and parts of it because we just don't have time to read everything. Like I said, all the other sermons that I've already preached on these messages, they're, on the, they're online. Uh, verse 18, chapter 1. He says, the wrath of God. Right there, bad news. <laughs> wrath of God. You hear the word wrath? He's talking bad news. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. He just said the righteousness of God has been revealed in Jesus, didn't he? Right? Verse 17. But right here he's saying, man, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against what? All the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth in their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. I read at the beginning of service, I read Psalm 19. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God, right? This is exactly what Paul is saying right here in chapter one. Since the beginning of time, since God started it all, his invisible qualities, the fact that God exists, that God is real, that there is some sort of creator. There is some sort, at least some kind of deity out there who made all of this. It's been clear. It's been evident from all eternity that everybody who has ever lived has, he said, no excuse. Mankind is without excuse to say, there's no God. I see no evidence. I see no good reason to believe that there could be a God. Paul says, no, that's nonsense. You know what? By the way, if, if you or somebody you know is what you would call maybe an atheist. Pray for those people. Pray for them. Don't hate them. Don't be argumentative with them. They don't need that. They need the gospel and they need people praying for them because this is what I know about atheists based on what Paul just said, that to be an atheist, here's what you would have to do every day. You would have to convince yourself in the deepest part of your soul that what you perceive to be true is not actually true. That's what you would have to do to be an atheist. Every day, convince yourself, all this that I see, the clear evidence that God is real, I don't believe it. Is that not a miserable existence? That's miserable. Pray for these people who don't believe that there's a God in heaven. 
Because there are people, maybe a few people in this world who really don't believe that. I think a lot of atheists, maybe they're just, they do believe it. They just don't want to believe it. Maybe they're just mad at God or they have bad experience. I get all of that. And Paul's just saying, it's clear. And so he says, because of our godlessness, godlessness just means like we've ignored God in our minds, right? We've turned away from him. And then wickedness, verse 18, godlessness and wickedness. Wickedness is unrighteousness. That's more our actions, right? Godlessness is like I've turned away from God. Wickedness is because I've turned away from God now, my actions have followed suit and I'm just doing all these things, whatever I want to do. And he, he goes on to expound on that the rest of chapter one, just underlining and underscoring what it looks like when we as people or we as a society turn ourselves away from God. You want to know what's going on in America today? Read Romans 1. It is a scathing indictment of the American society. As you read through that chapter and go, yep, 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 yep. Like it makes perfect sense. Once we have rejected God, turned away from him, what happens to us? We begin to trade in. So Paul talks about three exchanges that happen in Romans chapter 1. We exchange the glory of God for images we can hold in our hands. Anybody? Anything? Maybe. We exchange the truth of God for lies. You ever seen that happen? We exchange the knowledge of God, he says, for ignorance. I just don't want to know you, God. I want to do what I want to do. And so he says the wrath of God is being revealed. And you know how Paul defines the wrath of God in chapter one? He defines it like this three different times. Starting in verse 24, he says, God gave them over to their sinful desires. You know what God's wrath is on mankind right now? Do what you want to do. That's his wrath. Isn't that crazy? that that's the thing that America or most of the world would say is the greatest good. You do what you want to do. Like that's what's celebrated in our culture. That's what's lauded and lifted up as that's the best thing you can do in life. Do whatever you want to do. And Paul is saying that is the wrath of God. If you're just doing whatever you want to do, his will, his ways, his word be damned. I'll do what I want to do. Paul says, that's the wrath of God on your life, that he has given you over to that. What, what, what would be like the worst thing you could do as a parent to a young child? Do what you want. Would that not be the worst thing you could do? That's exactly what it's saying God is doing to people who have rejected and turned away from him. And so um, in chapter two, he just kind of goes in and, and lets the Jews know, by the way, I'm not just talking to Gentiles. I'm talking to Jews too. Jews and Gentiles both alike are under sin. And then he gets to chapter three. And he just kind of recaps all of this. And in chapter three, verse 10, here's what he says. The apostle Paul, chapter three, verse 10, he says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And he just goes on with that. He's quoting Old Testament scriptures, right? In verse 18, he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's sort of the, the conclusion of the matter to say, Every human being, you and me included, when we turn away from God in our sinfulness, this is who we are by nature, y'all. This is our sinful nature. The, the, apostle, uh, the, the, the King David, King David, Psalm 51, he says, from, from birth, I was in sin, right? Like that's just who I as who we are in our nature. Like we don't naturally want to follow God. We don't naturally want to listen to him. We don't naturally want to submit to his law. We naturally want to do us. We want to do our own thing. We want to have it our way. And Paul says, there's no one righteous. That just means, man, in our sinful nature, there's not a person that has ever lived, living today, ever lived, or will ever live, who is right with God, who is in right relationship 
with him. Because we, in our sinfulness, have rejected him. You know why you sin? Because you want to. That's it. It's real simple. This is why we turn away from God. And this is Romans 1, 2, Romans 3, all the way up to verse 20. The bad news. But then, the best paragraph in the Bible, and I will double down on that. Romans 3, 21 through 26 is the most important paragraph that exists in Scripture. Because it is, and Paul says this in here, it is the vindication of God. It is the gospel in a paragraph. And Paul helps us to see, yes, all of that is really bad news, but what has God done for us? Because we stand there right in the midst of that tension with some really bad news sitting on our heads, the wrath of God against our sin. And if he is really a just God, guess what? He has to deal with our sin. He has to. God can't be a good God. He can't be a just God. He can't be a holy God. If he doesn't do something about human sin, he must. First John chapter one, verse five, it says, God is light and in him there is no darkness, none. He does not tolerate sin in his presence. He cannot. And so if you and I want to be right with God, if you and I want to live in his presence, what must happen? Something has to happen. We have to be forgiven. We have to be justified. We have to be made right. And yet at the same time, God has to punish our sins. He has to, or he wouldn't be a holy God. Is there a way that this could happen? Is there a way that God could be both holy and just and the punisher of sin and merciful and kind and the forgiver of sins? Is there a way he could be both? Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now a righteousness from God. From who? God, not from you. A righteousness from him from God. Apart from the law, that means apart from any good things you can do to follow God's law, right? Because you and I are breakers of the law. That's Romans 1, 3, 1, 2, and 3, okay? He says, a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. You'll notice law and prophets are capitalized. That means Old Testament. The Old Testament testifies that God would have to do something to help us out here. You and I couldn't do this on our own, right? He says, this righteousness from God comes, here it is, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here's the gospel. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this. Here's the answer to the problem. Could God be just and punish sins and be merciful to forgive sins? Verse 25 is the answer. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So to kind of boil the gospel down to two statements I want us to kind of hear and understand this morning. Number one, the only way to be made right with God, the only way to be made right with God or justified, that's that word, is through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. You and I in our sinful nature are at odds with God Almighty, the holy, perfect, 
almighty, sovereign God of all creation that we have sinned against. We are at odds with him. We are enemies of his. He's going to go on to say this in chapter five, that we're, we're God's enemies in our sin. He, look, look, he's mad at you in your sinfulness. How could you be made right with him? He gave us Jesus. And then, and then the second statement that I want us to hear is that the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection of God's justice and his mercy. This is why this paragraph is so important because without understanding this, we will never be able to understand how it is that God could forgive sin and how it is that he could both at the same time punish sin. The question remains for all of us all the time, have our sins been punished? If you're a Christian, are your sins punished? The answer is yes, not on you, on Jesus. That's the answer to the problem. It's the greatest problem in all the world. Can God be a just and holy God and forgive my sins? And by the way, this actually really matters if you have a person who's a, maybe a Muslim friend. This is why this matters. I can't go into all this. Maybe we'll talk about this more on the podcast. But if you have a Muslim friend, the Muslims actually believe, and this is in the Quran, they teach this, that God and, and God's forgiveness, they, they would call him Allah, right? Allah's forgiveness is not based on any personality or character or nature of God. It's only based on his will. He can forgive whoever he wants to forgive regardless of anything else, right? He doesn't have to be, uh, he doesn't have to be right in that decision. It's just because he wants to do it, he does it. It's just based on his will, not on his nature. Christians believe something different. We believe that God has a will and a nature. We believe that God is just, but he's also good and he's compassionate and he's kind and he's loving. And so for God to forgive sin, he can't just forgive sin willy-nilly. He can't. If he looked at you and said, you're forgiven, but there was no payment for your sin, he'd be an unjust God. Do you get that? Think about it like this. If there was a judge in our, if there was a judge in this world who a murderer walked in, everybody saw him murder somebody cold dead on the streets of the courthouse. He did it. It was on camera. Everybody witnessed it. The murderer walks in and the judge says, ah, you're innocent. Get out of here. Everybody would call for that judge's job, right? Because that judge is not just. God can't forgive sin and not punish it. He has to deal with it. It has to be dealt with. That's why the cross matters, because it was dealt with. That's exactly what Paul is saying. He did it to demonstrate, verse 26, his justice, he punished his sins at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies. You get that? He's just, he punished it, and he justifies, he forgives it. How can he do both? The cross of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. Listen, anybody in this room, and I just want to pause here for a second to say, this is the good news. And this right here, like it demands a response from us. Everybody in the world who hears that truth, that demands a response from you. Because if you come to Jesus in faith, and he just said this, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died on that cross to bear your sin and the wrath of God that sits on your sin. That, that, that matters, that truth matters. And you have to respond to this because if you don't respond with faith in Jesus Christ, then the truth is your sins remain to be punished on you. 
and they will be. God will deal with your sin on your head. The simple matter of fact is this. God put Jesus to death so that he wouldn't have to put you to death. And if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, simple faith, to trust that he, the son of God, died on that cross to bear your sins in the wrath of God, then you can know that you are justified, that you are now right with God forever, right with him, righteous in his sight, justified by faith in him. So come to faith. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Be saved. Be forgiven. Let the wrath of God be removed from you. Let your sins be taken away. Let yourself be free forever in the name of Jesus by his blood shed for you on the cross. And so that's the, that's the gospel. And in chapter 4, Paul explains, really he just uses chapter four to talk about Abraham. He's the ancestor of all who have faith, right? So Abraham's kind of this first guy that we see back in Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15, um, that Abraham has faith in God and he believes God and God makes him righteous. Paul just uses that as an example for us. How am I justified? How am I made right with God? It's faith. You didn't do anything. You're not impressive. I hate to burst your bubble. Compared to God, you're not that impressive, guys. Neither am I. But we need him. And it said our righteousness from him has been revealed to us. It's, been, it's a free gift accepted in Jesus Christ, right? And so chapter four is just Abraham did that. He's our ancestor of faith. And so we do that. And then five, six, seven, and eight is really the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, okay? Five, six, seven, and eight is all about freedom. Paul just wants to kind of open this idea up that not only are we justified in the gospel, we are free in the gospel, Chapter five is mostly about being free from God's wrath. Here's what he says in five, eight, and nine. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for you because you're good. Died for you because you're not. While you're still sinners, Christ died for you. Verse nine, since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We're free God's anger that rests on sinners is removed from his children through faith in Jesus Christ. He takes his wrath off of you. He takes his anger away from you. And now he looks upon you and sees you as right in his eyes. You are good and you are pleasing to God. That right there is scandalous. That God would be pleased with you. Take three seconds and think about your life and ask yourself, do I deserve to be pleasing to God? You are in Christ. That's, that's scandalous and it's beautiful. So we're free from God's wrath. Number two, we're free from the power of sin. That's chapter six. Y'all, I think chapter six is one of the most helpful chapters in the Bible to us who struggle with sin. Anybody in here struggle with sin? Don't raise your hands. It's all of us, right? We struggle with sin. Guys, guess what? Even though you're in Christ, you're still a sinner. Like we still mess up. We still screw it up at times. That's why we take communion every Sunday, because we need to bring our sins to the Lord and trust in the blood of Jesus again afresh. That doesn't mean we're not saved throughout the week. It just means, man, every Sunday I want to confess to the Lord that I know I still mess it up and I need help. But chapter six is about this. You're not just forgiven of sin. You're free from its power. You are free, set free. Um, I, I did a sermon on this chapter and I had the handcuffs on. I don't know if y'all remember that. Like wearing the handcuffs because some of us walk around like this. We walk around, we walk around like we're still slaves to sin. But Jesus didn't, didn't just die to forgive you. He died to free you. 
He died to actually set you free from the power, the indwelling power of sin in our lives. Verse 11, chapter six, he says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. That's a memory verse. Remember Romans 6, 14. Sin is not your master. Can I, hey, somebody say amen. Sin is not your master. That's true for us. You don't have to sin. I don't know if you know this, Christian. You don't have to. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I mean, the Bible's full of this. It's just, we, we know that's true. And if you read through chapter seven, Paul talks about his own struggles. Chapter seven is just Paul kind of going, you know, I think chapter seven is one of the most gracious and kind chapters in the Bible to us because it shows us even the great apostle Paul struggled with this at times. Like he's wrestling with things in his mind and his heart. He's going through it like you and I do. And he ends chapter seven right here. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Verse 24, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who's going to help me? Who's going to save me? God, there's some days I feel like a worse sinner than I did the day before. Can anybody testify to that? Like some days you just feel like a screw up. You just messed it up again. And you can't seem to get it right. This is chapter seven. And he ends it with, man, I'm a wretch. I'm miserable sometimes. I struggle sometimes. Who can save me? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Man, he's just saying, I, we've been set free from the power of sin in our lives even though we feel it so deeply sometimes, man, the gospel is we're forgiven and we're free, free from the power of sin. And then he ends it with chapter eight, free from the law of sin and death. That's what we're free from in Christ Jesus, the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is this. Well, here's, here's what he says in chapter eight, verse one. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is this. Where there is sin, there must be death. Again, whose death? Jesus is for you. That's whose death paid for your sin. If you don't come to faith in Jesus, you don't trust in him for your salvation, it will be your death. That's the law of sin and death. It's against all of us. But because of Jesus, what did he say? Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. We're free from the law that hangs over the head of every sinner in the world. We are free because the Holy Spirit. And chapter eight is all about Paul saying, man, God has now filled us with his spirit who lives inside of us. When you come to faith, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God puts his Holy Spirit inside of you to live inside of you. He gives us a new mind and a new heart. He produces righteousness in us. He makes us call out to God as our father. It's the Holy Spirit, he says uh, in chapter 8, 14. He says, those who are being led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship or adoption. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of adoption. You know what that means? It means that every day the Holy Spirit, if he lives inside of you by faith in Jesus, he's calling out to God as your father, reminding you in your spirit that you are not a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. You are not just a sinner. You're a saint 
in Christ Jesus. That's what the Spirit does in us. Reminds us every day that you're not a wretch. You're saved in Christ. Amen? Like this is the gospel of God. And Paul just is lifting this up to us. And by the way, chapter 8, I would commend to you to memorize Romans chapter 8. Not verse 1 only. Memorize all of chapter 8. It will go well with you because in chapter 8, Man, Paul is just, man, he's climbing the, the summit of salvation in chapter 8. He just wants to stand on the top of Mount Zion and go, this is the gospel. And this is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and now filled us with his Holy Spirit. We have been set free, he says, from the law of sin and death. And Romans chapter 8, he also is telling us, man, death is not the end for us. We are set free from the law of sin and death. And so when we physically die in this world, here's what we know, church. That ain't the end. Did you know your best days are ahead of you? Do you know that? I don't care. I don't care if you're the oldest person in this room. Your best days are ahead of you because of Christ Jesus. Because death ain't the end for us. We will be resurrected in Christ. We will receive new bodies in Jesus Christ. And we will live forever, not just spiritually, physically forever with him because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he has set us free from the law of sin and death. And he says in Romans 8, 21, he says this, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's what we're gonna know one day, the glorious freedom of the children of God. When we are free from this body, and this miserable life on earth, because it is sometimes, isn't it? Like, it's just hard. But one day we're going to be free from that. And we're really free already. And then he gets to the end of chapter 8. And he says this, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, that God works for the good in everything. Did you know God works for your good in every situation? Child of God. Look right here. God works for your good in everything, in the wins, in the losses, in the good days and the bad days, in the mountaintops and the valleys, in sickness and in health. God works for the good of those who love him. That is a mystery and it is wonderful and glorious. And then he ends this chapter with this sort of amazing little call and response. And here's what Paul's doing at the end of chapter eight. He's sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit. And he's calling out these questions, sort of a court case going on, right? And he's sort of playing the part of the adversary. That's what the devil is to us, right? He's the adversary to us. And it's like the devil's coming in. He's the prosecuting attorney and he's looking at the Christians and he's trying to accuse us. He's trying to convict us. He's trying to bring guilt and shame upon our heads again, right? And then as Paul writes this, he's just kind of calling back and forth uh, like the prosecuting attorney and then the defending attorney, which is our advocate, Jesus Christ saying, no, they're not guilty. They're free. And they're free forever. And so here's what I want to do. If you guys will do this with me, actually stand up. Here's, here's how I want to end this today. We're going to sing and we're going to worship the Lord here in just a second. I want you to stand up. And I'm going to play the role of Paul kind of being the, the prosecuting attorney here. And I'm going to ask the questions from Scripture. And they're going to be on the screen. It's going to say, question, I'll read that part. And then I want us, you guys, to read the answers that Paul gives. This is all straight up Romans 8, uh, 31 through 39. Okay? I'm going to read the questions. You guys read the answers, but read it with some unction, okay? Read it like it's true, because it is, all right? So here we go. Here, here's how Paul 
ends this in Romans 8, 31 through 39. He says, what then shall we say in response to this? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who is he that condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. to say something else, but let's just worship Jesus. Hey, have a seat for just a second. Um, so listen, on, on your cards there, um, I just want to make this offer again for anybody in this room, because I've been praying this all week as we hear the gospel today. Um, and if you want to put your faith in Jesus, if maybe you need to settle that that issue in your life? Do I know God? Am I right with God? Listen, on your card right there, there's a place on the back. You can just check a thing that says, talk to someone about following Jesus. Or maybe you need to be baptized because you, you've come to faith in Jesus and you want to proclaim that publicly. That's your first step of faith. Put that on your card. Let us know, okay? I will personally contact you. We can talk about that. I just don't want you to, to leave here without having really thought about that in your mind about, man, I need to respond to the Lord, to the gospel, okay? Um, now, next week, here, here's the question. I want you to kind of sit on this this week. What if everything I just said isn't true? That's Romans chapter 9, 10 and 11. Paul's asking that question. What if God's a big fat liar? How do we know? All right, so we're gonna jump in Romans 9 next week. I promise you he's not, but um, that's the tension, okay? That's the tension Paul's wrestling with, all right? Um, let, me, let me just pray for us, all right, y'all? And then um, let's, let's head out. God, we love you, and we thank you that you love us. Thank you for the gospel today. I pray that we would leave this place full of joy in the gospel of Jesus, your son, and um, that we would be willing to go, as Paul said, be unashamed of it and go share it with the world, to tell somebody else about Jesus. And if any of us need to respond to that today, let us do so. God, we love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all have an awesome Sunday. If you need prayer for anything, come on down here. I'd love to pray with you.